What's up, everybody? This is TJ Reed, and you are listening to Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. We are on a mission to help you develop consistency, a thriving career, and to find company for the journey as a leader. Join us and leaders from over 300 cities around the world as we now dive into Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. I'm your host, TJ Reed, and I am excited to share with you today my interview with Oscar Tremboli. Oscar is a former marketing director at Vodafone and Microsoft who has always been passionate about listening to his customers. With his most recent book, Deep Listening, Oscar is on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners in the world. When Oscar worked at Vodafone and Microsoft, his teams were renowned for the time they spent listening to customers in the call center and in the market research summaries. He is passionate about using the gift of listening to bring positive change in workplaces and around the world. He says that 55% of our time is spent listening, but only 2% of people really seem to grasp this skill. If public speaking was the skill of the 20th century, Oscar believes that in the 21st century, it's time to learn how to listen. I'll tell you what, Vitamin Lead, this is an incredible uh, amount of knowledge and wisdom that Oscar shares with us in this. So I encourage you, if you're driving, listen well, but if you have the opportunity, pull out your computer, your phone, and take some notes because you're going to learn some things here that will absolutely help you in your life, in your family, in your business. It's going to make a difference. So join me in welcoming Oscar Tremboli to Vitamin Lead. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Vitamin Lead, your healthy dose of leadership. I am so excited to have today Oscar Tremboli here on the podcast with me. Oscar, thank you for being a part of this with us. TJ, I'm really looking forward to the questions your team's put together for me, your questions. And I really appreciate the shout out on last week's podcast episode. I was like, I want to listen to this guy. Such a generous, (laughs) enthusiastic signal of what's to come today when we talk about deep listening. Well, thank you so much. Uh, We've given a little bit of your background, uh, but would you just take a minute to just share a little bit about your experience and your mission? Yeah, I'm on a quest. I'd prefer it to a mission because mission implies something different for me, but I'm on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners in the world. And over the 35-year corporate career, many people commented to me on how I listened. Could they teach me? Could I teach them how to listen like me? And often I just kind of brush it off. And I didn't realize till maybe six, seven, eight years ago when Tracy, one of the vice presidents of Microsoft, took me aside at the end of a very complex three-way video conference negotiation between Sydney, Singapore, and Seattle, our head office, our regional office, and our Australian-based head office. She took me aside at the end and said, Oscar, we need to talk. It's a bit like when your wife says that, TJ. <laughs> it's, it's just not a good sign. So between the time Tracy said to me, we need to talk, and the time we actually got to talk, which was about 40 minutes later, all was going through my head is how much money have I got in the bank account? How many months of salary? Because I'm surely going to get sacked. 
Right. Tracy, Tracy said something to me really powerful. She said, what you did at the 20 minute mark changed the way the meeting went. If you could code how you listen, you could change the world. Now at Microsoft, when you say code, that literally means write it into software code. So I said to her, and I don't even know what prompted me to say this TJ, I just said, do you mean code or code code? And she looked at me with this quizzical look on her face. It's like code, like there's no other code. And I went, okay, cool, thanks Tracy. Anything else? She goes, well, you know, you're eight weeks out, you're gonna to have to cascade these budgets down to the field sales organization all around the states of Australia. Um, bring your best listening self to that conversation because they're gonna to be tough too. So the, our chief operating officer and CFO were in that meeting eight weeks later and Brian, the CFO came to me after the meeting. He said, for the next year, can you teach me how you listen? And what that meant was me being part of his uh, leadership team meetings where I would watch how everybody listened and how he listened. And I started to try and code it. Now I was far from coding it in software and that was it. I left it and, uh, it wasn't until a, a, a later time, much later time, maybe two and a half years later, where somebody challenged me to go stop talking about it, get out there and do it, leave Microsoft and go go and on this quest to create 100 million deep listeners in the world. So that's kind of how it's all come about, TJ. That's an, that's an exciting leap you took. And uh, from, from that leap, you've done research, uh, you've just written a book, uh, Deep Listening. What, can you tell us a little bit about what is deep listening? Yeah, m most of us see in color, but we listen in black and white. Deep listening is about listening at five levels of listening. Most people think listening is about you making sense of what the speaker says. Deep listening is to help the speaker make sense of what they think. It's not for the listener to make sense of what they think. Uh, in the 1980s and 1990s, there was an amazing movement around the world called the active listening movement, and they did a great job to promote listening. But they talk about listening really at listening to the content and a bit of listening to the context. The bit they miss is listening to yourself, the foundational level of listening. Mm. And then listening for what's unsaid. And now it sounds like you're talking to Yoda when somebody says, listen to the unsaid. But that's where the gold is in the conversation. And then ultimately listening for what does this mean for the person you're talking to in the moment? So that's five levels of listening as opposed to typically most listening literature will teach one or two of those levels. So we want to start to make an impact beyond words rather than just making an impact with, with what we're hearing. Yeah. And so uh, you, you talked about, you know, listening to the pauses and understanding kind of what's not being said by the person. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like uh, understanding the unsaid, because um, I, I would imagine it's kind of easy to maybe make some prejudgments uh, on what's not being said. How, how can we be a better listener and uh, unpack that with the person that we're listening to? Yeah, and, and listening at level four is kind of like, if you follow martial arts, it's like a black belt move. It's first damn black belt. For a lot of us, we need to get in the dojo and practice white belt. We need to practice no distractions. We need to practice breathing. We need to practice just hydrating our brain and drinking water. 
86% of us, TJ, what gets in the way of us being deep listeners isn't that we're not listening to what's unsaid. It's that we're listening to the radio station we've made up in our own mind before we even arrive at the conversation, we're thinking about the last meeting, the next meeting, what we need to do for lunch, what we need to do for the weekend, or a whole bunch of filters that we bring to the conversation. Oh, TJ, oh, I've got to talk to him again. He's always bouncing off the walls. He's so enthusiastic, but I'm not sure if he's really in the conversation at the level of detail we need to. And all those filters block us from listening to what's unsaid. Thinking about your question, TJ, Here's a couple of simple numbers that my wife always jokes with me that I want engraved on my tombstone. 125, 400 and 900. These three numbers will liberate the way you think about listening. I speak at about 125 words a minute. If you're auctioning cattle at a, at a cattle yard, you're speaking at about 200 words a minute as you're selling the cattle and going at the speed. And we can all understand what I'm saying right now because we can comprehend all the way up to about 350, 400 words per minute. So the first one is I speak at 125 words a minute. You can listen at 400 words a minute. So you fill in the gaps because I speak yeah. too slow. You fill in the 300 words. You're drifting off to oh, cattle yards. I haven't been in the countryside for a while. <laughs> And or you drift off and you go, oh, yeah, you remember somebody who used to speak really fast. For those of you listening right now, it's happening to you right now. You might be commuting. You might be drifting away. And I'm not speaking fast enough for you. You see, TJ, the difference between a distracted listener and a deep listener isn't that they do get distracted. You are neurologically programmed to be distracted. It's how quickly do you notice you're distracted so you come back into the conversation. Hmm. Now let's get to the 900. I speak at 125 words a minute, yet I think at 900 words a minute. Smarter people, people who have had more degrees tend to think it up to 1,500 words a minute. But for me, it's about 900 words a minute. Now here's a bit of maths. If I'm speaking at 125, yet I think at 900, Obviously, there's more words stuck in my head than I'm saying. In mm. fact, there's an 11% chance that what I say is what I'm thinking. Mm. Now, I go to the doctor at my age much more than you, TJ. You're at a different stage in life. But when I go to the doctor and they say to me, good news. My doctor's called John, by the way. Dr. John, if Dr. John said to me, Oscar, good news. Uh, we got your results back and you've got an 11% chance of surviving this surgery. I'm asking <laughs> for a second opinion straight away, aren't I? I'm done, yeah. Dr. John. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got nothing to do with Dr. John, but 11% is not a good ratio, right? One divided by nine, I've been told, is 11% because I have this thing called discalculus, which means I jumble my numbers up. So if there's a one in nine chance that what I say is what I mean, why wouldn't I ask for a second opinion in a conversation? Hmm. And that's listening to the unsaid. Sometimes when people speak and they finish, the most powerful things to unlock what's unsaid, TJ, is to ask simple questions. The simple question would be, tell me more. The hmm. simple question would be, what else? Any questions more than seven words are already biased and more likely to be a statement with a question mark on the end rather than a sentence. 
So what we want to do is use these simple things. When these terms are used, TJ, what happens to the speaker? Their body posture changes. If they're hunched over, they'll likely move their spine into an upright position, or if their spine's in an upright position, they might come down. But listen for these code words and tell me if you've heard them. Hmm. Well, TJ, what we should really be talking about is, or they might say, well, TJ, now that I've thought about it a little longer, what's more important than what we've discussed so far is, or you know what's really critical in this conversation? It's not what we've talked about so far. I need to bring you up to speed on this. Has that ever happened for you? Yes, absolutely. And in what situations does that happen for you? Is that at work or at home? Um, both. Mm. I, I, I think sometimes, uh, as, you're, as you're talking about it, sometimes I speed so quickly through my days and, uh, and, and I think personally, sometimes I feel like I, I can't pinpoint even what I'm thinking or feeling sometimes. And so it really helps to stop and investigate with a friend or a colleague. Mm. So for a lot of us, the simplest thing we can do is just spend a little bit more time listening to what's unsaid, but there's a huge barrier in the way. In, in the West, we have this awkward relationship with silence. See, to me, silence is so productive. Silence is so powerful. Silence gets to the heart of the matter much quicker. But we use terms in the West, at least, like deafening silence, pregnant pause, awkward silence. In the East, silence is a sign of wisdom, authority, knowledge. And yet, most of us don't treat silence like it's another word. Listen to the beginning of silence, listen to the middle of silence, and listen to the end of silence. And by the time you've done that, the speaker will continue their conversation. They haven't finished. The most powerful question you can offer to somebody to get out those other 800 words stuck in their head, TJ, is often silence and they'll do their own thinking for themselves. Is that for people like me that feel, that feel awkward in silence that I feel like I have to fill it somehow? Uh, or is that just a natural human tendency uh, to, to want to share that when the silence comes? Uh, the silence isn't universal. So think of your, your best, longest term and most trusted friend. You can have conversations with them where silence is present. And I venture to say it's not awkward for you. It's not That's something true. like, yeah. So listening and silence is situational and relational. We listen differently to our parents and we would to a principal, to a policeman. We listen differently to an accountant, to a doctor, to a student. So we just need to be conscious of, we don't actually have an awkward relationship with silence. We just have an awkward relationship with silence in this moment, in this context, in this conversation. And for a lot of us, we feel it before we know it. It's more in our heart and our, and our gut feel first before it moves to our head. Hmm. So silence, when you get comfortable with it, I would just simply say, notice your breathing. And then just take three deep breaths. 
and you'll, you'll, you'll move into a lovely relationship with silence. And these things are, can be productive and unproductive too, don't get me wrong. Using silence in some situations can create unnecessary tension and turmoil in a conversation too. There's a beautiful book called The Big Magic, Liz Gilbert, who wrote many award-winning books like Eat, Eat, Pray, Love, made into a movie by Julia Roberts. How cool would it be if the movie, the book you wrote, Julia Roberts plays you? That must be amazing. Anyway, Liz always plays this game with fear. You know, she's a writer and fear stops writers getting fully expressed. And yet she plays a game with fear and sometimes she needs fear. And, but mostly she kind of just says to fear, hey, fear, just hang over there for a moment. Uh, I just need to engage with curiosity right now or, or I need to engage with productivity. You're not useful to me right now. Hmm. But to, as she says, too many people draw fear in so close that it overwhelms us. And it's true with silence as well. So be comfortable, be playful with the paradox that silence provides for us i guess is what i'd say so how do we how do we pull that into like our daily life because as you're talking about slowing down taking breaths like those first couple steps of of listening i am thinking of my work day and running from this meeting to that meeting but having that hallway conversation how can i be intentional in that hallway conversation um, are, 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 I know you've already said take a couple deep breaths. Are there other kind of like tips or tricks to like really start to focus my mind even as I'm talking to that person in between the next meetings? Mm. I like the question. It's a, it's a question I get asked regularly by people who are moving from meeting to meeting. And it's hard. I'll explain how I move from meeting to meeting with clients and there's a couple of tips in there, but then I'll talk about going from meeting room to meeting room. See, for me, as I move from meeting to meeting, I have to move from building to building or from city to city. So I have an opportunity when I do that, there's a bit of a pause for me. The minute I cross the lobby of the building, that's a signal for me to switch my phone off, put it in my bag. I know that sounds crazy talk switch your phone off but you'll, you'll be surprised what opens up in the world around you between the time i switch my phone off and the time i get to reception i might i might go up in a in an elevator in a lift i just practice three deep breaths 10 seconds on each breath and i'm not going into a yoga pose or anything like that it's just in through your nose down the back of your throat all the way down to your bottom of your lungs and then exhale through your mouth now, TJ, about four weeks ago, I went to a 46th floor of a building and my ear actually popped halfway up the elevator. So that completely threw me off. So what I did in that moment, as I got out of the lift, reception was left. I turned right, found the restrooms and just spent a moment in there, collected my thoughts with three deep breaths. And then I came to reception, introduced myself. They offered me refreshments. I said, look, it'd be great to have a, a glass of water possibly a jug if there's other people other than the host are going to be present at the meeting. So three simple things you can do straight away, switch off your cell phone or any other mobile device. Now, if that's crazy talk for you, switch it into airplane mode. If it's still crazy talk for you, switch it into silent mode. If that's still crazy talk for you, switch your notifications on your apps off. 
if that's still crazy, talk before you switch your phone into gray mode. It can be it can be incredibly distracting. Modern laptops and iPads, all of those things are, allow you to move into flight mode as well, switching off the, the things that vibrate and bing and do all that for you. If I can tell you this, uh, Peter came from Seattle to Sydney on effectively a 24-hour flight when I was at Microsoft. I was hosting 20 people who were local CEOs of technology businesses in Australia. And Peter came into the room after a 24-hour flight, sat down, I introduced him, and in that moment, he stood up. Peter stood up and he says, look, I'm really sorry. The most important thing I can give you right now is my attention. Took his cell phone out of his pocket, put it in his bag, which was in the corner, and came to the room, paused, and what do you think happened next, TJ? Take a deep breath and listen. What happened next will stay with me for the rest of my life. 17 of the 20 other people took their cell phone out wow. of their pockets and went and put it in their bags. Now there are three people who were completely addicted and I, maybe they switched it to silent mode. So I always remember what he was role modeling as a leader, the mm. group followed. I remember that 17 out of 20 did it, three didn't, that's okay. Now he left the meeting after 45 minutes and I debriefed with the team, that group of CEOs for the next half an hour. And they all commented on the quality of the conversation. They all commented on the fact that they didn't spend a lot of time talking about technology and they all attributed it, not to the fact that cell phones were off, the fact that the leader had role model that to the room. Now I know there's been a ripple effect for what Peter did. In fact, there's a group called the Peter Club. They, these groups still seven years down the track are meeting about every six months uh, and they've all moved on into different roles. Some of them six get together. The biggest they've ever had was 12 together and they just talk about how to have quality conversations. Yet in that moment for me, it's, Peter's state of mind that says paying attention to the person in front of me is the most important thing. It's the most productive thing. It's the most potent thing I can do in the moment. So TJ, back to you as you walk from meeting room to meeting room. One of the first things to think about if you, if you get the bump and someone wants to chat to you in that moment, our ego will keep on saying to us, yes, let's speak to this person right now because it feels good that I'm important enough to be asked a question. But the right conversation at the wrong time is still the wrong conversation. Mm. So sometimes in that moment, you might go, hey, look, I really want to talk about this topic. It's really important. But now I can't give you my full attention. I prefer to do that Would tomorrow afternoon at 2 p.m. work. The other thing we can do in that moment is as we go from meeting room to meeting room, we don't need to move into a yoga pose to think about our breathing. So one of the things I would ask you to think about is notice as your feet hit the floor. Now I'm not sure if you're on linoleum or carpets or tiles in your building that you move from meeting room to meeting room. But if you just get conscious enough to notice as your feet are hitting the ground, you'll move a bit out of your head a bit and you'll mm. use it as a way to start to get yourself present. As you sit down, TJ, in the next meeting room, as you put your things down on the table, there is an opportunity for you to just 
take three deep breaths. No one will actually know you're doing it. Yet in that moment, you've centered yourself. Now there's a reason that opera singers, Olympic athletes, world champion snipers, FBI hostage negotiators all talk about the role of breathing to help them stay focused on task. I always say if it's good enough for them, it should be good enough for us as we kind of come into those conversations. So devices off, feel the carpet as you're walking across a three deep breaths. And if you do get the bump along the way, just make sure that it's the right time for that meeting. Yeah, That's, that, those are good tips. I really, I really appreciate that. Um, Any of I, those you're looking to apply? That, well, one of them that I recently applied, I read the recently, maybe about two months ago, the book Indistractable by Nur Eyal. Is that how you say yeah. his name, Nur Eyal? Yeah. Um, and uh, I got rid of my smartwatch. It was something that uh, I, I just felt like the constant buzzing would constantly move my mind away from focus or focusing on the person that I was with. Yeah. And uh, I did that. And then as you were talking about the different uh, flooring, I think we have all, all those different types of flooring in our building that I moved from meeting room to meeting room. And so uh, going from the carpet to the tile to the linoleum, and uh, it almost, almost it's like a feeling of being grounded as you think about the ground. And, uh, That's and, what it's and there for. Yeah. I look forward to doing that tomorrow. Yeah, if we're doing crazy other things, I'd say go barefoot outside and get your toes really into the grass. But uh, that's a story for another day. <laughs> um, I know you took some time to ask your team and others some of the questions they'd love to pose. Yeah, so um, one of them that, that somebody had is they said, uh, do you have any thoughts on how we can be better listeners over text messages and social media? Uh, as we're constantly in that world. How we communicate is just as big a choice as what we communicate. And in a century where we've created more mechanisms to broadcast than ever before, I'm not sure it's increased the quality of the conversation. Hmm. An interesting point to think about, uh, uh, in interviewing some research experts in the field of social media and engagement, you get 10 to 15 times more engagement and people listening if you pose a question rather than a statement. And the statement might be, I'm struggling with this. That's the statement. I'm struggling with this. Who else is, or do you have any tips for me? all of a sudden you have to put your listening ears on hmm. when it comes to social media. So whether it's text or social media, whatever the format is, one of the interesting things to reflect on is what's my statement to question ratio. Hmm. So if you pretty much, if you're in a default orientation to social media, you, you will just be broadcasting messages and you'll be broadcasting those messages from the perspective of me rather than we or us. So the other noticing for you to do is when you're in the social media context, is what you're talking about fiercely from your perspective? Is it fiercely from a group perspective or is it fiercely from a more extended universal perspective? It might be, uh, a geography, it might be an economy, it might be a country, it might be a culture, 
it might be a larger group of people. So first and foremost, ask yourself the question, is this the highest quality conversation I could be having on this topic? Are there other mediums to do it on? And if the answer is no, think about your questions to statement ratios, because questions will both help you listen as well as them. That's really good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, because it go, it goes from me to we when you when you ask the questions. I really like that. That's that's yeah. a very beneficial statement there. Um, so uh, another one of the questions was uh, in our current political climate, it seems like people are just on such polar opposites. Uh, how can deep listening help us to work on the gridlock that often accompanies these conversations? So if we think about that metaphor of me, we and us. Listening is the willingness to have your mind changed. Now yes. let that sink in a bit. Listening is the willingness to have your mind changed. For about, uh, I want to say about two and a half years ago, TJ, I heard that quote, listening is the willingness to have your mind changed. And in that moment, I made a choice. I chose to listen to one podcast, one radio station, read one newspaper or website that I fiercely disagreed with every day for the next 30 days. And you know what happened? I failed miserably. I was arguing with everything I was hearing, everything I was reading. And then every day I'd written down on a little scratch card, willingness to have your mind changed. Then I started listening on the next week for, hmm, there's some things that are similar between us both. And then the next week, hmm, there are differences between us both, yet they're not irreconcilable differences. I can see how they have that perspective. And I think for a lot of us, we tend to listen to people who say what we think and what we like. I wonder how different and less polarizing it might be if we all put off our blue or red shirt and just put on any old color shirt and just listen to each other. But listen to each other with a genuine curiosity, not listening to each other in a way that's about, how can I prove they're wrong? That's not true in all cases. Yeah, that's true if you're rich and privileged, but it's not true for me or whatever other dialogue you're making up. So in its question is its own answer. Are you willing to have your mind changed? And are you willing to listen to those people that are polarized differences? You know, when, when the founding fathers talked about your constitution, they said the reason that the United States would be undermined is from within, not from without. And all, all of you in the US, the UK, or even here in Australia, we have much more in common than we have difference. But if all we look for is difference, that's all we'll find. So your challenge is listen with a willingness to have your mind changed and you will be surprised what happens when you listen carefully for 30 days with somebody you fiercely disagree with. 
I'm curious, TJ, as I was talking about someone you furiously disagreed with, how you'd go with that exercise. Yeah, I've been, uh, that, that was, that's been part of my challenge this year is I've been trying to read people uh, on vastly different perspectives of what I've grown up with or, or done. And um, what I found is at first, like you said, like very, very much, uh, oh no, that can't be, that can't be true. That can't be right. But over time I'm going, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And, and what I found is as I've actually been uh, dedicated to listening, I've been finding that it's integrating into a more holistic life for me. Um, as I've listened to people, so I, I read sometimes theology books or uh, political books or wh whatever that is, like listening to people across the spectrum um, has really helped me a lot to be able to integrate that more into my life. Um, but as, as you were talking about the political stuff, I, I, my mind, I, 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 I didn't do well on the deep listening at, at a certain point there, but my mind drifted to, we're, we're coming up on the holidays here, and uh, for some of us, we'll be around family that are very staunchly political or they want to share their opinion. Um, how, how do you, even if you're open to, to listening and growing and learning from somebody, how do you uh, help a speaker who doesn't want to progress in their thinking? Um, like, how, how can you still be generous in that conversation? I think it's back to what Peter did, it's how can you role model that for them rather than you trying to teach them or you trying to show them or you trying to convince them. And for anyone who's been exposed to the principle of deep listening and this crazy guy comes on to the conversation and says, listening's the willingness to have your mind changed. That's not a belief that everybody subscribes to. Yeah. And, and that's okay. And that's no problem. I spend a lot of time thinking about the five levels of listening and why it could be wrong. I, I keep going, what's level zero and what's level six or should, should we be collapsing them? And Oscar, if you really want to change the world, shouldn't you want to speak, not listen? And the irony is to get to a hundred million deep listeners in the world, TJ, I have to speak, you know, yeah. It's hilarious. It's <laughs> paradoxical. And I think for all of us, it's the lightness of going, yeah, there's paradox in that, but I'm not going to get bent up or twisted about it. It's creating perspectives. So in that moment where you've got your favorite auntie or uncle with their political rant, just come back to what's a question you could pose? And quite often in those contexts, when the belief is held really tightly, really tightly, the question could be, when did you first form this perspective? So you're taking them back to a time where they didn't hold that view so fiercely. And not only will you learn something, so will they. So, I'm, I've, I've known in, in, in our family dinners for asking these kinds of questions. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like, ah, oh, yes, there's the Oscar question, you know, for people who've been around long enough. But whenever somebody holds something so fiercely close to them, I ask them, when did they first form this perspective? They have to stop. 
it's like stopping the train on its tracks and going, oh, when did it start? Which also takes them back to a time and a place where they may have held different perspectives. Hmm. And if all you did was help them to come back to that place, that's all I'd say you need to do. Don't make it more complicated or anything than that. It will stop the person thinking and it will help them change their own mind. I love that. I love that. Is it, is that, is that, is that part of the, the purpose of all this is, you know, we need to get back to a, to a place where we, uh, maybe we're healthier or we did have more clarity. Like, is that, is that one of the kind of byproducts of, of deep listening and helping the speaker progress is getting back to that, that healthier place where maybe we had a little bit more clarity or were able to uh, unpack that a little bit more. Yeah, I think, I think we need to be careful. I mean, if you buy into the media narratives, media exists to create two opposing views to com create compelling content that you want to listen in for. That doesn't make it the truth. If we think about media as theater rather than truth, then we have a different perspective. We don't have to buy into that. We just have to go, that's a useful input, but it's not my only input. Yeah. You know, people have this belief that never in the world has it been more complicated than now. Uh, I would venture to say people who made the transition from the 1890s to the 1930s had to deal with much more change than we do today. They had to move from farms to cities. They never had electricity. Now they have electricity. There were no trains of any substance. They had trains. They didn't have automotive transportation. They didn't have intercontinental transportation that was only available to royalty and extraordinarily rich people. That kind of change that that brought about from a societal point of view is much more significant than the internet. It's much more significant than the period of disruption we're dealing with right now. It's just most of us don't look back across history far enough to go, hmm, maybe that's not true across all time or maybe it's not true across all situations. Now, I'm not saying I got the answer, far from it. But for me, it's always what can the pause teach me to go back in time or forward in time to go, hmm, will this really matter? Will the number of clickbait articles that are created on a particular website matter? Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But the question is always, as humans, I believe we've got some element of control on that. We've got the control to go, is that their narrative or is it mine? And in that moment, you have a choice. That's one thing you have as a human. And if you choose to buy into the drama that that narrative provides, then you choose the consequences of that, as opposed to, choosing that's our narrative i have mine and i will progress with my life in my way that's a choice too yeah can i ask you uh another question from our team please please um one of the questions that they had was uh how how can uh, a lot of our listeners are kind of younger in their careers and mm. they, they want to know as i'm starting out with my first supervisor or uh, in the organization that I'm in, how can I be a better listener and how can that help me uh, in my career? Yeah, one of the things I, I, I love working with young leaders 
one of the things I, I rebuilt was the graduate program at Microsoft. So I always love the questions that come from fresh eyes. So don't underestimate nor censor the kinds of questions you want to ask to your supervisor, particularly as it relates to things you might notice as patterns rather than one-off events. So you as a fresh set of eyes can role model listening so well to a supervisor who may be two decades, three decades, four decades, five decades into their career and don't have the perspective you enjoy. So one of the things is, what are some of the questions you can ask that may be oh, uncomfortable for you? hey, I've noticed we spend way too much time in meetings from my perspective. Can you help me understand how we set up our meeting frequency of weekly? When did that first start? That's a question you can ask. And the short version of that is, when did we start weekly meetings? So there's no judgment in that question to go, weekly meetings is wrong or right. And if they say, hey, what we did was we sat down with everyone in the team and the team decided they were weekly meetings, that's interesting. Or they could go, yeah, I decided about seven years ago we're having weekly meetings. And just by asking that question, you, you're prompting them to think, well, should we have weekly meetings? Should we have meetings at all? Or should meetings be daily? Some organisations do daily shorter 15-minute meetings. Some of them call them stand-up meetings. Some of them call them scrums. So We I call think, them huddles. Huddles, in, in yeah, place. that's yeah. another way to do it. Yeah, so I, I think, again, don't underestimate the quality of a conversation you can create with fresh eyes, that useful curiosity that is not trying to undermine why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? If it sounds like that, the message gets lost in how you're communicating it. But if you just display that curiosity, when we started, how did we decide these meetings? Or, it could be something else altogether. So I think because you're younger isn't a reason to speak up. In fact, I would say it is the reason to speak up. We rebuilt the graduate program at Microsoft where I interviewed every graduate in the previous three years, whether they were still at Microsoft or not. And that group built the program that got taken around the world to 26 different countries around the world because we chose to ask the curious questions. Well, I didn't, I just encouraged them to and, and we rebuilt that. So wherever you are in your life cycle in the workplace, the reality is you've always got valid questions to ask. Notice if the question is coming from me, we or us. The more we-like questions you can ask, the more likely that's gonna be productive, not only for your supervisor, but for your extended teams and their extended teams as well. I like that. I, I really struggled with that as a, as a young team member. I struggled to, to speak up at times, I think, because I, I love what you're saying, that it's those fresh eyes. And really, like a lot of times, even now, uh, fresh generation in the, in the workplace that has a different mm. perspective that came through different inciting events in their life. And so, um, yeah, I... Asking the, uh, I think you had him on your podcast recently, Chris Voss, the hostage negotiator, 
Um, he, he said, never ask a why question. One time when I heard him speaking, and uh, I think that's good advice to uh, ask, ask questions because why for some reason triggers something in us that feels a little bit threatening sometimes and uh, reframing that question. Yeah, what, why questions typically got asked when you were, you made your first mistake as a child, your parents would say, why did you do that? And so you actually get triggered back to there. So your automatic defense me mechanisms shut down. So if you're early in a relationship or early in a project, asking a group of layered questions around why, there's a methodology actually called five whys. Mm -hmm. And done well, at the right time, that's really productive. But if you're early in a relationship with someone or early in a project with someone, uh, that, that can actually be counterproductive. Hmm. That's really helpful, thank you. Um, so what's the, what's the cost of not listening? What's the cost of not uh, implementing some of these things as we go through life, whether it be in our uh, personal family relationships or at work or with our friends? 2005, August 28, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, the meeting of the world's most significant central bankers. They met every year. And Saturday morning at 10.30 after the morning tea break, Dr. Rajan, an electrical engineer, not classically trained as an economist. He was a vegetarian. He loved Tolkien, the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings, got up to speak and said, the pipes of the global financial system are backed up with so much sewage. When it explodes, we all don't want to be around. He wrote a paper, it's still available on the internet, explaining what would happen with a global financial crisis. And he was laughed at, he was ignored. Uh, Larry Summers, who was the head of US Treasury, uh, pretty much told him to sit down and um, he was wrong. And Larry Summers never has apologized to him or admitted that maybe he was wrong. But with that beautiful visual image of the global financial system, sewage system is backed up and about to explode. It was a beautiful way to explain what was going on. But Dr. Rajam wasn't from that culture. He wasn't from that profession. He wasn't of a central banker's classical training, and yet he was completely right. And the cost of not listening was trillions and trillions of dollars, millions and millions of jobs, and maybe what were sowing the seeds of what's happening right now. TJ, as you talk about polarization across the world in terms of political environments. But Dr. Rajan wasn't the only one saying that. Again, a medical doctor on the west coast of the USA Dr. Michael Burry, if you've seen the movie, The Big Short, he went through line by line, spreadsheet by spreadsheet, and looked at the pricing of every property that was subprime and said to the most significant investment bankers in the world, this is going to be a house of cards. They didn't listen to him. Not only didn't they listen to him to prove he was right, he got them to create a derivative that would pay out money when the banking system collapsed. Now, what a bold bet that was. But again, as a medical doctor, he was ignored because he wasn't trained as a banker. 
So the cost of not listening is the BP Deepwater Horizons oil explosion in 2012 off the coast of Louisiana, where 11 humans lost their life. But today, BP is still counting at $56 billion. Nearly a decade later, they're still counting the cost of cleaning up that mess because a manager wouldn't listen to a staff member who said, the risk of going to 100% throughput on this pipeline right now may cause a rupture and an issue. And in wow. not listening to that staff member, the cost was well beyond the cost of that conversation. But for most of us, TJ, the cost is a project that goes over schedule. For most of us, it's a project that goes over cost. It's a project that delivers on time and on budget, but doesn't actually deliver what it promised to the people who are gonna use the project. We can see these play out anywhere in our working life and equally at home, it can create chaos and conflict and confusion and broken relationships. I could go on and on about the cost of not listening. I think one of the things that I'm learning from what you're saying there is it's also got to be a willingness to listen to somebody that you might find to be an unlikely source. Like, uh, yeah. like how you were talking about earlier that you listen to the 30 different news stations in 30 days. Uh, be willing to listen across a broad spectrum and uh, really understand what somebody's saying. And, and a lot of people say to me, yeah, but that takes longer. Oh, I haven't got that time. And I go, but you're actually taking even longer. I was talking to a creative director in an advertising agency uh, just last week. And we were, we were chatting about this and he, he slapped his forehead and he goes, you know what, Oscar, this client we're working with right now has rebriefed what they want from us three times. What I've just realized is we weren't asking the right questions in the first meeting. It's not their fault. They do this maybe once or twice a year. We do this once or twice a week. I should have been helping them with the kind of questions that would help them. Too many of us ask questions about content and not enough of us ask questions about the process. Too many of us ask questions about what, where we should be asking questions about how. And in that moment with that creative director, he said right now, just in rework on that project, they're 15% over budget and the projects only started a week ago. Wow. So the, the project's an eight week project. If, if they would go 15% over budget every week, they just make no profit. Yeah. And for a lot of us who are experts, we, we just, need to be a little bit more humble and rather than kind of scratch our chin and go, Oh, you think that's your problem. I know six other problems you're going to have. And you haven't even thought about that in that moment when you're saying that you're not actually listening to them. You're not actually listening to hear whether their voice moves down here like this, because there's some emotion attached to the mention of their boss. But for some of you listening right now on the podcast, you haven't even noticed that my voice changed because you were distracted. <laughs> so that's why level one listening is so important and being in the moment. Yeah. So Oscar, I've really enjoyed having you here on the podcast. If you could give our listeners uh, kind of one challenge to leave them with, uh, what, what would you do? You're on, the, you're on this quest to create deep listeners. What would you say to our, our uh, vitamin lead audience? Switch your phone off. It's good advice. Right now, uh, just switch it off with the podcast. But yeah, if if you you know if you're listening to the podcast, you can switch it over to flight mode, 
um, a lot of people kind of mentioned to me while while they're commuting on their and listening to their podcast, they've got their social media and their email app open on their device as well. Just switch it to flight mode. Don't don't engage with anything and just listen. Listen to the colours in my voice. Listen to the colours in TJ's question. The ones beyond black and white. The ones that are stretching you just a little bit further to remember as we come into the season of Thanksgiving and you get your favourite auntie or uncle ranting on about something they hold really strongly. Next week, as we come into Thanksgiving, why don't you just ask them, when did you form that view? And that, that would be the greatest gift for you, for them, and for me. That's wonderful. Well, thank you, Oscar. I, I so appreciate your time and uh, the wisdom that you've shared, the talking that you've done to teach us how to be better listeners. Thank you for that. Well, you've given me the greatest gift of all, TJ. You've listened to what I've said and you've given me my com your complete attention, which is great to see when we're on video. If you'd like a doorway into deep listening, the book, the jigsaw puzzle, the playing cards, the assessment tool to figure out which one of the four villains of listening you are and what to do about it, just go to listeningmyths.com. That's listeningmyths.com and that'll be your gateway to a great group of listening resources that is packed full of questions you can ask yourself. I love it. Yes, go, go check that out. I've, I've read the book. The book is tremendous and, and those resources. Uh, I haven't checked those out yet, but I will check those out uh, after we're finished here. Thank you. TJ, thanks for listening. Have a great day. Oh, friends, <laughs> didn't you just love that time with Oscar? What a humble, just really brilliant uh, person to learn from. I'm grateful for his quest to build deep listeners and hopefully take some of those tools into this holiday season, into my personal career, and I hope you will do the same. Uh, like Oscar said, check him out and some of these resources out at listeningmyths.com. Uh, you can learn more about Oscar at oscartrimboli.com. Uh, his name is spelled out uh, in the title of this podcast, as well as we will link to it in the show notes. So friends, I hope that you have a great week and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks again, Oscar. We are so grateful for all that you taught us this week. Bye-bye.